Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Ophthalmology Podcast on all things ophthalmology brought to you by Mayo Clinic. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea Tooley. And I'm Dr. Eric Bothan. We're here to bring you the latest and greatest in ophthalmology, medicine, and more. In today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Cheryl Khanna, glaucoma specialist here at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Khanna is a national leader in glaucoma and a mother of three. Dr. Khanna shares with us her evolution from a rural practice to a busy academic department, why she loves her job, and what her experience as a working mom in medicine has been. Dr. Cheryl Khanna is an associate professor of ophthalmology and a glaucoma specialist here at the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Khanna holds multiple leadership positions within the American Glaucoma Society and serves as the clinical practice chair for the ophthalmology department at Mayo. She is a past residency program director and recipient of the Teacher of the Year and Surgical Teaching Awards. Dr. Khanna's clinical interests include artificial intelligence and outcomes in glaucoma and cataract surgery. Welcome, Dr. Khanna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're excited to spend a little time with you talking about something that, as we've done these podcasts, we're appreciating the importance of understanding people's lives and the joy of doing that professionally, academically, but so often there are pieces of of individuals' lives that we don't talk about enough, and that's personally. We recently spoke with someone that talked about the multifaceted areas of people's lives that was in a different podcast so we thought that one of this is one of our first to say let's just think about the other aspects of our life and that's how we juggle manage thrive in being multifaceted in a personal way you you know have such a love and commitment to your field in 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 this department Um, tell us a little bit about your career evolution as we just talk about your life and open up this subject in our podcast sphere about your life from going from a rural clinical or practice to an academic medical center like Mayo. How did that transition happen in your life? Frame this discussion as we'll then get into Cheryl Kana's life. <laughs> I'll try not to put anyone to sleep. But... So I'll just start off by saying that I really did not grow up with any mentors in medicine. And I think that may explain my very convoluted course (laughs) through my life. I'm very proud of my parents, but my mother had an eighth grade education and my father was drafted into World War II right out of high school. So education was not something that was um, common in my family and we didn't have many resources at all. So that's where I started. My brother was a major mentor who was seven years older than I am. You know, I was a good student, and so opportunities started to arise. I ended up finishing medical school. I had an interest in ophthalmology. I was a resident at Mayo Clinic and loved it, and then decided to do a glaucoma fellowship. And I think, you know, the mentors that I had along the way really shaped my career and provided opportunity, which I'm very, very grateful for. Starting professionally probably with my brother, and then Lee Elward at University of Iowa was an incredible mentor for me in the glaucoma world and uh, really shaped my career. I think I've always had strong ties to Mayo Clinic as a, as a resident and so decided to come back on staff. And there was an opportunity. George Bartley was setting up uh, many health system sites and there was ophthalmology representation at those sites. So I was invited to you know, be in the health system for a while, which I ended up doing for over a decade. 
And I really loved it. I loved the the small community. I felt like I was really serving an important purpose. It was one of those communities in Austin, Minnesota with a you know town of 20,000 where you would go to the grocery store and everyone knew who you were and you would you know chat with people and it just had a wonderful feel and you really felt like you were serving the community. So I I love those days. You know, as time went on, I had a growing glaucoma practice and I ended up doing probably 80% glaucoma in this tiny town because it had a pretty large draw area. And at the time, Doug Johnson and Arthur Sid were in Rochester and, you know, we had a friendship, a relationship over the years. You know, unfortunately, Doug Johnson passed away at age 56 and there was really a need for um, glaucoma service here at Mayo. And so with that opportunity, I decided to transfer to Mayo Clinic Rochester. And from there, Mayo's an incredible place. So there were just opportunities that I didn't have in Austin, Minnesota. And at the time, you know, there was an opening for uh, to be a program director. And I think I had been on staff at the main clinic at that point, maybe a year or two. So not very long, but I had a lot of energy and loved working with the trainees. And so that was really fun. One of the take home messages I would say is do what you love, think about what excites you, what gives you energy. And I think for me, it was working first in Austin with the community. And then as I moved to the main clinic, I loved working with trainees and that presented an opportunity to be program director. And so I enjoyed that for a number of years. Then being at Mayo Clinic, it's almost impossible not to be really engaged with clinical research. So I saw a lot of opportunity. And as I worked with more people and more teams, you know, developed different interests within clinical research. So initially I did outcome studies. I looked at post-surgical complications and how we can improve those in the glaucoma space. Then I looked at AI initiatives. I worked with engineers and mathematicians, never expected to do that at all. And then, you know, since I had been in the clinical practice for nearly 30 years, I was asked to be clinical practice chair. And that's really been a joy. And I think, you know, just redefining yourself and moving forward over the years is so important for all of us. It really keeps your career fresh and exciting and it allows you to give back. So it's been a long journey, but it's been great. Oh, that's so, so fantastic. And I love how you share kind of the different phases of your career. And I think it's important to remember, at least being junior in my career, that there's all kinds of different opportunities and there are going to be little 10-year stretches where you're in this phase and you're in the program director phase or you're in the research phase or you're in the administrative leadership phase. Like there's all kinds of different things and you exemplify that, which is so great. Tell us about glaucoma. Tell us why you love your job. I mean, you just exude joy. We know you love glaucoma. So tell us about why you love your job so much. I do. It's a choice that I've never regretted. And I think it started off with an incredible mentor with Lee Alward, who just is a person who does it all. You know, he's a great human being, but he's also a fantastic surgeon, researcher, colleague. So I think having a great mentor really inspires you. I think for myself, I love the patient population. I feel that it's a second leading cause of blindness in the world. And so it's there's a dire need to serve that population. I feel so strongly about it. My own father had glaucoma. Arthur Sitt took care of him and did a beautiful job. So I can brag about my colleague. So it's very personal on that level. And every day, I think, regardless of how tired you are, the person in front of you always motivates you to 
to serve them and to try to preserve their site. And it's, um, it's something that's incredibly ingrained in me. So I think it's wonderful to hear the you know testimonies of people's lives in, in particular in a podcast setting to think about how we influence others listening and especially as you commented Andrea people that are more junior in their career you know the the comment over the importance of mentors I think most of us that are in training long enough tend to have individuals that are our beacons of professional life and where we're going or we'd like to strive for or modeling a path that we'd like to follow and so it's certainly for anyone listening just a critical role if you're in training or even early in practice and don't seem to have a mentor there's even a a a journey of framing yourself or being open to to asking for help or asking for connections whether it's an academic practice or clinical practice but also the importance of being a mentor because you you know in your career have gone from being in this practice in rural minnesota that have had meaningful impact on patients' lives around you, and now, in phases in your life, have acquired more and more tools and opportunities to be a mentor for others in your teaching your know, phase. So I, it's an inspiration for people listening, as you're talking about phases, that whether you're in a practice you love, or in a practice that you want to evolve into something more, just that each phase in life can be different as you're commenting on, and you can learn from one, and then the next phase can be different, and you've really owned that well. A lot of people say they start out in academia, and after they do it for a while, they go to clinical practice. Mm -hmm. But you've showed how over your career, you can add layers in clinical practice, in expertise, in leadership, in teaching. And so I just you know, celebrate that for listeners, that your life is a model of both clinical practice doesn't have to stay the same. You can evolve and learn and grow in that and how the role of mentoring is so important. And we appreciate how you do that here at Mayo yourself. Thank you so much. Yeah, I would say that I challenge each person to really evolve professionally. You know, you really shouldn't be the same physician each year or five years or 10 years, everybody needs to evolve in some way. Yeah, I love that so much. And I mean, on the topic of mentorship, you've been a huge mentor to me, you've been a mentor to all of our trainees as past PD, and you you still work side by side with all the residents and fellows, you have international fellows, it's just amazing. And another aspect of this, which I've just recently learned to appreciate because I've had two kids in the last two years, is you're a surgeon mom, you're a mom of three, and you're such an amazing example for just crushing it in your career and crushing it at home as a mom. That was something that I never never had I never had a female physician surgeon mentor who showed me how you could balance being a mom and still being really at the pinnacle of your career and and not having to necessarily sacrifice or, or just learning how to kind of juggle that talk to us about being a mom and also being a surgeon how you've done it I know you have some really good <laughs> tips you've shared with me some good tips and I think it's really important for people to see how you can do it especially young ophthalmologists who are looking to start a family to have good mentors who can model that for them thank you I think I'll be very very honest it's incredibly difficult it's incredibly difficult to balance everything and I'm sure I've made plenty of mistakes I think the first thing is to allow yourself to make some mistakes to ask for help 
I think having a good support system, and that's different for everybody. So I think some moms, they want to do it all with their kids. You know, they want to be there when they play their piano or do their sporting event. And, you know, maybe you need to make time in your schedule for that or work less than full time. Whereas some moms are really great at delegating different tasks. You know, there are some moms who hire someone to be with their infant if they wake up at night so they can sleep through the night and be a great surgeon the next day. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. So I think inherently mothers have a lot of guilt, but I think there's a lot of ways to do both roles very, very well. I think, you know, you have to think about what your priorities are. I think you need short-term goals and long-term goals. And so I think each day it might be, well, it's really important that I get to this event for my child and or for my husband, and I'm gonna make that a priority. And then there's other days where you realize that you do need to be a good colleague and you need to be a good surgeon, and you know that needs to come first and that needs to be the priority. So it's a difficult balance, but I think You know, I tried to keep things simple. You don't have 20 priorities each day. Maybe you have three. When the kids were little, I didn't have a lot of different activities for myself. I really did focus on my husband and my kids and my work, and that was it. So those are my three things on my list each day and every day. And I felt that was very fulfilling. You know, now I'm an empty nester. And there's more time to do other things. And so I was actually just sharing with a friend that, you know, I'm reaching out to people that I haven't seen for a long time. I've had some friends that have been recently widowed. And so we're reaching out to them and just making sure they're doing okay. You know, I take care of my elderly mother and and that's on my plate now. So I think each phase is a little bit different, but I think surrounding yourself with support I think deciding what your priorities are, keeping things simple, and then you know you try to be a good person at work. So I try to be really dependable. Um, I try to work hard. You know I try to be consistent, and certainly always, always serve the patient in front of you. I mean we're here to do a good job for them. So uh, it is a tough balance, but I think those are some things that have kept you know kept me grounded over the years. So I think you framed it well that you shared how importance was, especially when your children were younger and you had less bandwidth for other things, how you were in positions, whether in clinical practice or in professionally here at Mayo, in Austin versus here, I should say, that allowed for you to focus on family in certain seasons and now as families change, focus on all of your research and leadership roles here. In terms of mentoring relationships, I'd say one of the unique challenges is to teach your mentor junior faculty on saying no enough because there's so many opportunities to get busy. Sometimes people even get into meaningful leadership or administrative roles because they seem attractive and a really young stage in their career. And then you're trying to juggle the academic productivity along being a family. What is your advice towards how do you saying no to things in your career versus saying yes to things? Thoughts on that? I'm really bad at saying no, so I'm going to start (laughs) off by saying that. I I get really excited about so many things, and I love to work with people. I think in the back of my mind, I always think to myself, what's the best way to improve the situation? How can I do good? Really, each of us, that's what we're called to do is contribute, to make a difference, to be there for other people. And so I think about, okay, what's the biggest impact that I can make? I'm a bit of a list maker, so 
on a daily basis, I'll say, okay, today, this is what I want to get done. You know, this is my priority list for today. And on a weekly basis, this is what I would like to do. So I try to make short and long-term priority lists, thinking about, okay, how can I serve the best? How can I make the biggest impact? Where would I like to be in a year or five years? Knowing that life is unpredictable and knowing that I couldn't have predicted my path. I know that looking back. So... Well, that's so unbelievable that at, you're coming at everything from an angle of how can I do good? How can I serve? You can't go wrong when you're coming at it when your heart is in that place. Mm-hmm. So however it ends up, you know that you, you can't go wrong. And we've seen that in your career trajectory. It's absolutely wonderful. Thank you for sharing this. I think this will be a light to definitely young ophthalmologist people in my shoes to respect their boundaries and learn how to say no, like you said, Eric, but also take opportunities and say, where can I do good? How can I help here? I, I think that's really beautiful. Thank you so much for, sh- for sharing the joy in your career. It, it's been Absolutely. wonderful. Thank you so much for the invitation. You can find all episodes of the Mayo Clinic Ophthalmology Podcast on our website. Thank you for listening, and we definitely look forward to sharing more 